We're uh, continuing in our series today uh, in Hebrews. If you want to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we will get there here in just a few minutes. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with home repair and home improvement projects. Anybody anybody else have a love-hate relationship with those kinds of things? On the front end of them, when I think about such projects, I, I usually have positive thoughts, and I even get kind of excited at the idea of, you know, making some improvements and doing some, some neat things around the house or the yard. But what I find happens is that uh, many times, once I've actually started the project, I end up concluding pretty quickly into the project that I actually don't enjoy doing this stuff very much. So, so, uh, so, so it seemed good at the outset, but then I'm reminded, yeah, I, this isn't really what I love to do. I have taken on a, a few fairly sizable projects, at least for me over the years. I uh, built a fence around my backyard several years ago, uh, actually nine years ago, and uh, it's still, still looking good. And so I feel pretty good about myself for having done that. I installed a patio that was finally completed, a paver patio. It uh, was finally completed right as the weather broke, uh, spring of 2021, and it's holding up pretty well. needs a, a little, little repair work to it, but overall I'm pretty pleased with that. And I've learned things over the years that I wish I hadn't had to learn, but I, but I did. I've learned how to replace uh, garbage disposals. I've learned how to replace sinks. Um, I've had to repent a few times after learning those things, uh, but, I, but I have learned how uh, to do them. And the main thing that I have learned after years of home ownership and home projects is that having the right tools makes all the difference. It really does. I know that's pretty obvious, but uh, being quite the cheapskate, I spent many years trying to do jobs without the right tools. And I finally realized just how misguided that approach was. And once I figured that out, it has been tremendously helpful to me. So when I went to build the fence, instead of using a manual post hole digger for the, I think, nearly 35 uh, post holes that I needed to dig, which is what I probably would have done in previous years, I found a friend with a bobcat and what I think is called an auger attachment, and what would have taken me many, many hours, probably weeks, to get done, uh, he was able to do for me, I think in probably about three hours or so. Uh, By the way, I want to thank again Gary Warner for digging uh, the the fence post holes for my fence. I'm deeply appreciative. Uh, When I went to tear out the grass for my patio, and to, you know, dig out some of the dirt to lay the base layer instead of doing what I would have done in years past and just getting myself a hoe and a rake and a shovel, uh, I actually invested in a rototiller and the job went uh, much better. It's vitally important to have the right tools for whatever you're trying to accomplish. We're closing in on the end of the book of Hebrews and Uh, We're looking at the next to last chapter in this book today, chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 here in a few minutes. This whole book has been an appeal to continue in faith, to hold on to faith, 
to not turn away because of the pressure and the opposition and the difficulty and even the persecution that comes to believers in life, but to instead persevere. It has been, the entire book, an appeal for endurance. And in the first 17 verses of chapter 12, the author shares things that are meant to equip his readers for endurance. He shares a number of things that are meant to help them toward enduring in faith in the midst of the great challenges that they were facing. What the author is doing is he's giving his readers tools that they can use for the purpose of enduring in faith throughout all of the challenges, all of the troubles, all of the hardships of life. And the tools he shares with them are just as relevant for us today as they were for those first readers of Hebrews. It's true that our circumstances are very different than theirs, but we face our own kinds of pressures and hardships and temptations that try to get us to give up on faith, to drift away, to shrink back, to turn away. And the tools that the author recommended for endurance to them are still the right tools for us today if we want to endure in faith throughout the entirety of our lives. And so I've entitled today's message, The Endurance Toolbox. Let's look at the text now, Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. I'll read, you follow along, and join me in reading on the verses that are in bold. I think that should be shown on the screen as you follow along. So here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, all of us together on verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, verse 7, together. Oh, that's not bold. So, verse 7, we'll read together. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? Thank you. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in His holiness. Now verse 11, together. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. 
Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So the end of verse 1 gives us our objective. It gives us our goal. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So we want to run our race. We want to persevere. We don't want to give up. We don't want to stop. We don't want to throw in the towel. We want to endure. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's what the author has appealed for throughout this entire book. As I've said over and over in this series, they were in a situation where people were abandoning the faith, being tempted to abandon the faith, and we live in such a situation today. We live in such a context today. To not be in that group that gives up and drifts away or turns away, we need to use the right tools. We, we have tools at our disposal. We have tools that we can use, and we need to put them to use. And within these 17 verses, we find a number of tools that will help us to keep running our race even when it's tough. These tools help us to persevere. They help us to endure. The first tool in our toolbox is found in verse 1. We read, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The first tool is one that we considered over the past couple of weeks in chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. It is to remember and to be inspired by the examples of those who have endured before us, this great cloud of witnesses. The, the author was telling the believers then that they should not view their sufferings as unique. All of the heroes of faith had faced hardship and difficulty and suffering. The idea here is that he's saying to them, the heroes of the faith endured all of this difficulty of life, and if they did it, you can do it too. And it's the same for us today. We remember the lives of heroes of faith from the Old Testament. We remember the lives of the heroes of faith from the New Testament. We remember the lives of heroes of faith throughout church history. We remember the lives of faithful people that we have even known personally. And we're encouraged by their example. We are inspired by their witness to keep going, to persevere, to endure. The idea here is we look at their lives and we say... If they did it, I can do it too. I have often reflected on the life of missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life taking the gospel to an unreached people group in the jungles of Ecuador. It's the Jim Elliott that you may be familiar with one of his famous quotes. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What, what an incredible uh, statement that is. 
even to the point of giving up our lives. We, we can't keep it anyway. We can't keep it anyway. And so he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Jim Elliott is one of those heroes of the faith that I uh, will think about from time to time when I need encouraged in this way. I've been blessed in uh, my own life to, to know many faithful people uh, personally, people who have endured great hardship and yet persevered in faith. I can remember their lives. I can reflect on their stories and be inspired by their examples. When you're facing hardship, you're facing temptation to quit, you have to remind yourself of those who have gone before you. They endured, and you can too. It's a great idea to lock in on on a couple or a few examples from the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, those you've known personally. Get, get two or three or four of these examples of people who have endured, commit their stories to your memory, and reflect on them often so that when trouble comes to your own life, their stories are so ingrained in your thinking that they are instantly available to you as encouragement and inspiration. Now, let me just ask, are there some of you here today who uh, you have a person or two that uh, that you do this with, that, that you're mindful of their story and, and, and you're inspired by their example. Do any of you have some of those in your life? Okay, a few. Some of you just won't raise hands no matter what, but, but uh, a few were willing, so that's, that's good. Sometime we ought we to ought share some of those. I'd like to hear those. I'd do it now, but some of you are going to get antsy in a few minutes, so... Something that I think Warren's mentioning here is that what is meant by the great cloud of witnesses is that we are aware of those who have gone before us and their examples of faith and their lives witness to us of faithfulness. What Christians sometimes have taken this to mean is that those who have gone before us are watching our lives from heaven and that we need to endure well because they're watching And we want to have a good performance for these spectators that are watching us. And uh, that's not what is meant here. In the topic of whether or not those who have gone before us have awareness of what's happening in our lives is one that we can speculate about. We can, you know, come to different viewpoints about, but the Bible doesn't really teach that. What this verse is saying is that their lives bear witness to us of faith, and endurance. And so the very first tool in our endurance toolbox is remembering and being inspired by those who went before us and set examples of faithful endurance in the face of hardship. And here's the second tool. It's also found in verse 1. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Notice it doesn't, doesn't say throw off some of the things that hinder you. It says throw off everything that hinders. And, and then the author wants to make it clear that the everything includes those sins that so easily entangle us. 
Later in chapter 12, we're given two examples of the types of things that we should throw off. Here's what verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Avoid divisions. Throw off divisions. Don't allow divisions to develop because here's what division does. It wears you down. It compromises your endurance. I don't know of very many things more destructive to believers, faith and endurance in that faith than unnecessary, petty divisions that spring up from things like unwillingness to overlook an offense, unwillingness to deal constructively with an offense, or the unnecessary petty divisions that arise from political differences or jealousies that we allow place in our hearts. Or insert any reason that can cause divisions among us. You want to endure in faith. Don't allow yourself to succumb to the temptation of unnecessary division. Throw off division and live in peace with everyone. It's so important. I mean, I got to tell you, just watching Christians fight with each other on Twitter, it wears you down. It wears you down. You want to endure in faith, throw off division, live in peace. And we're given another example of the kinds of hindrances we need to throw off. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If you allow bitterness to grow in your heart, to take root in your heart, it will compromise your ability to endure in faith. It will really choke off the life of the Spirit in you. And not only does bitterness do damage to you, but bitterness damages uh, those around us as well. It talks about this bitter root. You know, bitterness is like that weed. You've all had that weed in your flower bed. That the root has gone so deep that you can't, you can't get it out. Like it's virtually impossible to pull the whole thing out. And so what do we do when that happens? Well, if you're like me, you pull the top of it off and you hope for the best. Maybe by some miracle, that weed will not grow back. But it does. It does. Every single time, it does. The, the root, if it is not pulled out, is going to keep producing the unsightly weed. I was dealing with a lot of these weeds in my flower bed just yesterday, and I just pulled the tops off of several of them. So, unless you pull the whole root out, or, or you use something that's meant to kill the weed, the root will keep growing, and, and you'll just pull it off, the top of it off again and again and again, hoping for the best. But the problem is never resolved, and that's what bitterness is like. We, we can't allow bitterness in our lives if we want to endure well. We've got to pull that weed out of our hearts. Got to get the whole root out 
We have to throw off bitterness. And those are just two examples that we find in our text. But verse 1 is clear. We need to throw off everything that hinders. That might include limiting interactions with a toxic person. It might even mean ending a relationship with a toxic person. It might mean changing jobs if something about your current job is a hindrance to enduring in faith. Enduring in faith is so important that Hebrews tells us that anything that compromises it has to be thrown off. It has to be gotten out of our lives. I believe that for some of us here today, at this very minute, God is bringing to your mind something that's compromising your endurance. And he's asking you today, this very day, this very week, he's asking you to be willing to throw that thing off from your life so that you can endure well in faith. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, verse 1 says. And then you go down to verse 16, and here's what we find. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Two things we see here. Avoid sexual immorality, throw off sexual immorality, and don't be godless like Esau. You've probably noticed that we are living in a sex-saturated culture. The culture is accepted and anything goes attitude towards sex, and increasingly large sections of the church so-called are also embracing and anything goes attitude towards sex. If we want to persevere in faith, if we want to endure in faith, we have to be people who are willing to go against the culture. We have to be willing to go against much of the church so-called, and we have to continue to embrace a Christian sexual ethic that realizes that sexual sin is inherently harmful to us, and it will lead us away from Christ. I do not know of anything that has caused more people to walk away from faith than an unwillingness to throw off sexual immorality. It is one of the main causes of people giving up on faith because they want what they want, they want it right now, and they want it more than they care to be faithful to God. And increasingly, large sections of the church are embracing this as acceptable. And let's be clear about what they're doing. We don't just have a difference of opinion with them. They have abandoned the faith. You cannot say that what God says is evil is good and be a Christian. You can't do it. And so let's be clear about what they're doing. They're abandoning the faith. We have got to be people who continue to affirm the Word of God in all that it says. And so no no matter how much the culture tries to convince us that things that God says are wrong or okay, we have to be the people that say, no, they're not. And to the extent that we've allowed those things to come into our own lives, we've got to be willing to throw them off, throw them out, 
say, I am done with that. And, and that's what this reference to Esau is, uh, if you think about this right. And this appeal not to be godless. Esau threw away his birthright, which was an extremely valuable blessing for the firstborn son. It, it would have blessed him throughout his entire life, and it would have blessed generations beyond him. And he gave up his birthright for a single meal. And so understand what the author of Hebrews is telling us the definition of godless is. Godless is esteeming something of little or no value over something of eternal, infinite value. I'll give up a blessing that will last for generations for this single meal. It's a godless way of living. It's a godless way of living. And friends, that is what sexual immorality is. It is the valuation of temporary pleasure over God, over faith, over things that have eternal value. That's what sexual immorality is. Really, that's what every sin is. If you think about it, cherishing your offense and your right to be angry and bitter over obedience to God. It's a godless way of living. Valuing your career or your money or your favorite sin, all things that are temporary and will not last over things of eternal value. That is the definition of godless that Hebrews gives us. And so we have to be willing to throw off everything that hinders, including sin. It's a vitally important tool in our toolbox. We have to be willing to do this. And then verse 2 gives us the next tool for our toolbox. And this one is the most important tool in the toolbox without any doubt. Verse 1 ends this way, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then here's what verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You want to endure well in, in this walk of faith? Fix your eyes on Jesus. It is the most important tool in the endurance toolbox. It, it reminds me, when you read this, it, it, it reminds me, I would imagine it reminded many of you of when Peter accepted Jesus' invitation to step out of the boat and come to him, walk to him on the water. You remember that story, at least many of you will. And as the story goes, as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the situation around him, he started to sink. If we want to endure to the end, and by the way, that is the test of faith, is enduring to the end. That's how it is shown that your faith is real, that it endures to the end. That's the test of faith. And to endure to the end, we have to keep 
our eyes on Jesus. When the questions that none of us can answer haunt us. You know, there are questions out there we just can't answer. Have, have, you, have you realized that about life? When those questions uh, haunt us, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When temptation threatens to overwhelm us, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When our circumstances tempt us to lose heart, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When we feel alone and we feel misunderstood and we feel mistreated or we feel overlooked, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I love that song, and I think we're going to sing it at the conclusion of the service that, we're, that includes the, the words, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When life is too big for us, and it often is, we can look to Jesus and he sustains us. Years ago, <clears throat> during a really bad storm and under threat of tornado, my family and I uh, went to our basement. My mom and dad were probably lounging on the top floor of their house because they don't, they don't get shook up by tornado warnings. But my family, we were, we were, in, the, uh, we were in the basement. <laughs> And Aaron and Austin were really young at the time, I think, you know, uh, 15 and 19. No, I'm joking. They were, they were very young. They, they, were, they were little boys at that point, and they were very scared. And I was trying to reassure them that it was, that it was okay. And so even though we were in the basement, I, I wasn't scared. And so I, I said to them, I said, do I look scared to you? And I don't remember if they answered me or not, but, but I didn't look scared. And so I said to them, just keep looking at me. As long as I don't look scared, you don't have anything to worry about. Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus is the answer. When we're scared, when we're tired, when we're mistreated, when we're disappointed, when we're struggling to forgive, when we don't know what to do, and the list could go on and on and on, and it includes when we are tempted to give up and throw in the towel on faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus is the greatest tool in our toolbox. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, verse 2 tells us of one of the things that we'll see in Jesus. It says of him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see that Jesus, our Savior and Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, he endured hardship. He endured the cross for the joy that was on the other side of the cross. For the joy that would come out of his completed work on the cross. 
And so we look to him and we learn from him and we, we, we model our lives after him. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. We remember he endured for the joy set before him. And so we're inspired to endure for the joy that is set before us, which was secured for us by him. And then in verse 3, we see this, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We look to Jesus. We, we honor him by following his example. He endured opposition, and we can too. He'll even strengthen us to face the opposition and the hardships that come to us in life. I can tell you from personal experience that I am a Christian today because I am thoroughly convinced about Jesus. That's why I'm a Christian. I am thoroughly convinced about Jesus. I don't understand a lot of things. I heard my own father say over the years, and I believe uh, this is true. I remember him saying, the older I get, the less I feel like I know. And, and I feel that way. I have a lot of questions, a lot of things I don't understand. I don't like a lot of things that I see in our world today. I don't like a lot of things I see in the church and from Christians today. I find it very disappointing how much our Christian walk for many of us seems to be one step forward, two steps back. I get very frustrated by that. I don't understand so much about the ways of God, and I don't understand why God allows some things. I don't understand why there are other things I think God should do that he just doesn't do. But when all of those kind of thoughts come, my faith is able to endure for this reason, because it entirely rests on Jesus. I am thoroughly convinced about Jesus. My faith doesn't rest on understanding things that are beyond my capacity to understand. If it did, I would have been done with this a long time ago. My faith doesn't rest on that. My faith does not rest on how well other Christians treat me or don't. It doesn't rest on whether life circumstances are good right now or not. My faith entirely rests on Jesus. I have fixed my eyes on Jesus. And so when challenges come, that's who I'm looking at, Jesus. Friend, if your faith is going to endure to the end, with all that we are facing in the world today and are likely to face in the coming days and months and years, you simply have to fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you do, those things of this earth, the bad behavior of people, even Christians, the hardships of life, the, the sin-saturated culture that we're a part of, financial hardships that may come your way, the disappointments that are a part of all of our lives, fill in the blank. 
with whatever troubles you, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the things of earth aren't going to be near as troubling to you. They'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, and you'll be able to endure because you're looking to Jesus, who is the author, and he's the finisher of your faith. He, he gets you to the finish line. He does it. You look to him, and he gets you there. We've gone kind of long today. Let me just quickly mention the last two tools for our endurance toolbox. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. William MacDonald notes in his commentary that we shouldn't read discipline here as punishment, which we sometimes are tempted to do, but as training and education. Life's hardships are used by God to educate us and to train us, to grow us into the people that he wants to be. And so we can endure hardship so much better if we look at it as education and training. And verse 11 tells us that hardship produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. If we'll simply embrace the training and the education that hardship brings, it's going to accomplish good things in our lives. In all circumstances, the scriptures tell us, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so you help yourself in enduring. If you will believe that, if you will embrace that, it is a great tool in the endurance toolbox. And the final tool we find in our toolbox is found in verses 12 and 13. We are helped in our own endurance when we commit to live for the good of others. Here's what verses 12 and 13 say. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's a bit of a challenging verse uh, to interpret and to understand, but I think George Williams, a man named George Williams, uh, helps us a lot with the meaning. Here's what he writes about this. All who follow the Lord fully smooth the path of faith for their feeble brethren. I think these two verses are basically saying something like this. Stop accepting excuses for yourself. Build up your own faith so that you can blaze a trail of faith that others can follow. And so I think we can just summarize this very succinctly by saying live for the good of others. Uh, blaze a path that makes it easier for someone coming behind you to endure in faith. We're supposed to be inspired by the heroes of faith that we look to and then we're also supposed to be people who are mindful of living lives where we're the kind of people that, that others might be inspired by. And they can follow our example. And so these are important tools for our endurance toolbox. If we want to endure to the end, and again, that is the test of faith. We remember those who endured before us. And so this week, here's what I encourage you to do. Pick two to three examples of those who have endured in, in faith, commit their stories to your memory and decide that you are going to reflect on their story frequently so it just becomes ingrained in your thinking. Throw off everything that hinders, including sin. This week, identify something that's a hindrance to your faith. 
a division that you've allowed in your life, a sin that you've been tolerating, whatever it is for you, identify it, name it, throw it off, get it out of your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Commit again to spend more time with Jesus. Learn of him. Get to know him better. Every day, consciously choose, I'm going to look to Jesus. Remember all that he endured for the coming joy. Remember the joy that is set before every believer. Embrace hardship as as, uh, training and education and then live for the good of others. This week, I would encourage you to get one to two people in your mind whose faith you'd like to help. Maybe they don't have faith right now. Maybe their faith is weak. Whatever the case is, ask yourself this question, how would I live differently if I wanted to become a better example of enduring faith for that person and smooth their own path of faith? And then whatever the answer is that God gives you, do that. Let's stand.